0: Well, good morning. Um, we're continuing in our Who's This Man series. We're going to be in uh, Mark 2, uh, 23 through 3, 6. Um, I have three, four kids. Um, it shows that I'm losing my mind by forgetting how many, but I've got four kids. And um, it's so funny, we have uh, a young one in the house again, and uh, I remember when we had our first um, I showed up to a Sunday school class on a Sunday morning when he was a couple months old and somebody said, how's he sleeping? And I said, hey, we're sleeping, we're sleeping great. He slept through the night last night and my wife looked at me and said, you slept through the night last night and he did not. And I was like, I'm sorry, I was d- doing okay. Um, but uh, I was fine. Um, but, um, but I have four kids and it's crazy how quickly um, the dad things just come out. Um, you, you probably have things that your dad said that you're like, man, I'll never say that as a parent. And let me tell you, they're coming for you. Um, I, I catch my, myself saying, I mean, I'm, I'm always closing doors and turning off lights and like fans are on and different things, I'm like, we're heating the whole neighborhood out here. These things that are just coming out that I'm like, where did that come from? Oh, I, I pay the bill now, that's what, that's what matters. Um, there, there are two things that happened in the last couple weeks that I wanna tell you about, uh, they're really important. They're not important, they're silly. Um, but uh, my, my kids love getting snacks. Uh, one of my kids loves coming in and getting uh, a slice of cheese as part of his snack, loves cheese. Uh, and our two oldest kids are big enough where they can get in the fridge, get what they need, and we had just gone to the grocery store, we'd gone to Sam's, so we had like this big package of, of, of cheese, and I went in and like went to go do something, and I just look in the drawer, and I see the mouth of this, this bag that's supposed to be kind of Ziploc closed is wide open, and I get in there, and I'm opening the drawer, and I'm zipping it back up, and I'm telling my wife, these kids are just, not, they're, they're ungrateful, they don't know what they're, doing." And, and she just goes, Jared, the bag doesn't close all the way, it was like that when we got it. And I think it was you who left the bag open. Like, oh, those kids, <laughs> they make mistakes sometimes. Um, and uh, I, I was working this morning to figure out what to say, and, and the, uh, Mark 2 has a lot of good things that, uh, really, I think what's at the heart of um, Mark 2 and the beginning of Mark 3 is that he wants these Pharisees, these people that were rule followers uh, to a fault, uh, to see their hypocrisy, to see how uh, they say things that they don't do and believe themselves, and they hold others to a standard that they don't themselves keep. And this morning, while I'm getting ready, I had another one of these instances come up. Um, we have a, a sink in our bathroom in the hall um, that, um, it, it's not clogged, but the design of the sink, if you turn on the sink on full, full open, full blast, um, it will slowly start to fill the sink with water. Okay, It's not clogged, but it just doesn't drain quick enough to, to let all the water through. And I don't know how many times one of our kids goes to brush his teeth and like shh, turns it on. And I think for them, the marker of how long you should brush your teeth is until dad comes and tells you to turn the water off because you're gonna overflow the sink. Um, because I'll run in there and I'm like, you don't know what water's gonna destroy. Let me underst- help you understand mold. And like, I'm trying to like help them understand how big of a problem it is, and they're like, sorry for brushing my teeth, Dad. <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, well, this morning, I'm getting ready, I, I've, I've done all my prep, and I'm, I'm still not sure I'm gonna open things, and I'm, I'm getting ready to shave, and I turn on, I want hot water, so I turn it on, and I go to and get some other things ready, and it's crazy. It must have filled up extra fast this morning, because when I looked at it, it was full to the brim, and I shut it off, and in that moment, I realized how big of a hypocrite I was and how much I hold my kids to a standard that I don't keep myself. And what I'm kind of realizing with this text and with some things in our lives is I think that God wants us to see how sometimes we can hold other people to a standard that we don't keep ourselves, and he'll use a tool to show us that. Sometimes it's a bag of cheese, sometimes it's a bowl, sometimes it's the Sabbath, and that's what Jesus uses to show the Pharisees in Mark, about their hypocrisy. We're in Mark two, and what we've already seen happen in Mark two is that these Pharisees, these were the people that were rule followers. They would've probably had a lot of the Bible memorized. They would've understood the law, uh, and they were very zealous for it. They were eager to obey the law. Um, and they see Jesus, and Jesus has been disruptive to what they know and what they're doing so far. Um, some of the things we've seen already that Jesus claimed to be God and forgave sins of a man that he healed from his paralyzed state. He claimed to be God and forgave his sins. And think about that. You can only forgive the sins that you've been forgiven of. I can't go on your behalf and forgive someone on your behalf. Hey, he forgives you. He's he's good. No, you, only you can do that yourself. The, the, the Pharisees would have understood that sin is against God, and here's Jesus going up to this man saying, hey, I forgive you of all of your sin. Why? Because all of his sin was done against God. Jesus was claiming to be God and, and, and was just blowing up their mind, changing the narrative in their heads. He spent time with sinners and not necessarily Pharisees. He went in their homes, he spent time with them, he dined with them, he, he walked with them and talked with them, and the Pharisees were like, well, we're the spiritually elite, why don't you spend time with us? We're the ones who have things figured out. And then what Logan talked about last week, kind of the intro was like, him and his disciples didn't fast in the way that they expected Jesus to fast, not against the Bible, but against the way that they understood fasting to be. So today, they have these issues with Jesus and the Sabbath. So we're going to kick off in Mark 2, verse 23 and 24. And it's going to be up on the screen, or if you've got your Bible app, you can go to any of, uh, the events page and view our event there. Save it for later. Uh, email it to yourself. It's a great tool. Mark 2, 23 and 24. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. He, this is Jesus. And as they made their way, his disciples, began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, uh, why, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So this is kind of our context. This is what we have to know. What is the Sabbath? This, the Sabbath was, um, was something that God gave the Jewish people and us as meant for a day of our rest, to fill up that which is empty, to replenish that which is broken, and replenish that which is depleted, okay? Okay. Um, and there's two ways, that, and there's kind of some confusion, some, some liberty in uh, the way that Jews would have seen when they received the command to uh, the Sabbath, because they did get it in the Ten Commandments that you should keep a Sabbath and keep it holy, and, and there's these rules around it um, that say that if you have um, a son or a daughter or a person that works for you or an animal or a piece of land, that you should work it six days and let it rest a seventh day. That what we're learning even in culture, in in, in our psychology, is that we need the rest, our bodies need the rest, our our land needs rest. Um, And and God instituted that in the 10 Commandments, but we also see it back in Genesis two, when God is creating, and he's creating the world, he's creating us, he's creating everything that we know and see, and then he goes on the seventh day and he rests, and God did not need to rest. God was not tired. God was not winded. God said, hey, you need to rest. I'm gonna show you that rest is a holy thing. I'm God, and I'm gonna do it for you. So we see it modeled by God, and we see it depicted by God, shown and told, commanded us by God. This is the Sabbath, and those were the rules. Work six days, rest on the seventh. And what you see here in verse 24 is the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? What he's not saying is like, what they're doing is wrong. What they're saying is that the Pharisees had these extra rules. And here was their mentality. If their idea was like, man, if I really wanna follow God, I I wanna do all the things that he says. So if I end up working, I'm not doing what God says. So if working is like falling off here, I don't wanna be right on the edge. I wanna make sure that I don't work and I wanna be all the way back here. I wanna take like a bunch of, of precautions to make sure that I don't accidentally end up working, make sense? So they started adding these rules and regulations to make sure that they don't work, and I wanna read you a couple of them. They would make sure that they only walked 1,999 steps. That 2,000th step was work, declared by, not God, but the Pharisees. You can only travel a certain distance, it's like two-thirds of a mile, it's like 800 meters, you can't go 2,000 steps. Um, you could only untie, you could not untie a knot. If you have a knot, I don't don't know how uh, you tie up a boat, or you I guess you wouldn't get around the steps rule, I don't don't know, Um, but if you have a a, a cut in your garment, if you have a cut in your clothes, um, you can stitch it up, you have a little leeway, but that leeway is one stitch. So you better make it work over the weekend um, because you you got one stitch to make it work. Um, Communication is important. Um, You can write a letter, um, but you can just write the one letter. One letter. Um, You better make sure your home is is nice and bright um, when the Sabbath day started for rest because you couldn't light a candle. You couldn't do it yourself. But there was a workaround. If you employed a Gentile, the Gentile could come in and light the candle for you. So it makes sense. You can't stop to look in the mirror because if you stopped and looked in the mirror and saw something that needed fixing, um, that's work, and you can't do that. So they're they're building up all of these laws and rules and regulations around God's thing that he meant for our replenishment, for our good, for our rest, and they're making it honestly miserable. And there's two extra ones today that we're going to look at that, that the Pharisees get frustrated with Jesus about. The first one that we just read about is you can't harvest. You're not supposed to harvest. You cannot harvest in any way. And they see the disciples walking and they're like, rule breakers, rule breakers, they did it. You see it, they did it. And they're frustrated by it. The second one, it seems a little bit more ridiculous and we see it in the example in Mark three is that you can't administer medical help unless the issue is life-threatening. You can't administer medical help unless the issue is life-threatening. So if, if, had, if they were walking somewhere and someone fell, someone fell off the path, something bad happened, the, the law, what they created, these restrictions, not the law of God, but these restrictions told them you had to look and you had to figure out if it was life-threatening, and if it wasn't, can't work, sorry, that broken leg's gotta sit, See you Saturday night. Like that, that's the attitude. If there was a catastrophe, if a house fell in on itself, they would go around and they would kind of look because you weren't supposed to pick things up either, carry things. They would look and see if the people's injuries inside were life-threatening or not. If they were life-threatening, they could help. But if they weren't life-threatening, we'll see you Saturday night. And what we start to figure out here is that their attitude towards this gift from God is not that it would be this replenishing, helpful gift from God, but they added these burdens onto themselves and the people so that, can you imagine working? Like, my watch tells me how many steps I take, but I don't think I can count to 1,999. I don't think I can figure out on Friday night how to live till the next day without playing. Like, that's a lot of work, and they made it so difficult so that the Sabbath wasn't something to be enjoyed and rest and be filled up. They made it something that it was like, oh, the Sabbath's tomorrow. All right, get your rule book out. Because all the, they had 39 rules and each of them had their own subset of rules to make sure that you didn't work on accident. And this is their issue with Jesus. The Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Look at Jesus' response. Jesus doesn't look at their response of this extra biblical thing and throw it out and say, no, 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 I can do what I want. I'm Jesus. He points them back to Scripture. And he says to them, verse 25, he says to them, have you never read what David did? They would have probably had the law memorized. They probably would have known this story from the back of their hand. They would have heard it growing up. And he's like, hey, Did you not read this, what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he had entered the house of God and in the time of Abiathar, the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat and also gave it to those who were with him. He's referencing 1 Samuel 21 when God's anointed man of David, their holy hero, their spiritual person, did something he shouldn't have done on the Sabbath by their laws, by their rules, by their restrictions. And he reminds them of this story, why? Because he was God's appointed man, he was God's anointed man who was running from Saul for his life and he shows up, you can go back and read it, he shows up at the place and he says, well man, we're tired, we're running out of food, we don't know what to do. And he says, do you have anything for us to eat? And the priest says, well, it, you, I only have this, this bread that's meant as the bread of presence and you can only have it if you followed these certain criteria. And he says, my, my men have, have followed this certain criteria and they let them eat it, which was a breaking on what the Pharisees were arguing that Jesus did. He pulls them back into scripture to show them their hearts and show them where they stand. And he's pointing out to them they have a double standard It's okay for David. We live right here, man, you guys are bad. You guys are awful. And Jesus continues to challenge their hearts with the Sabbath as a tool. We're gonna skip over 27 and 28. We're gonna come right back to it, but in in Mark three, he goes to another example. They think this was either later that day or the next Sabbath day. Again, he entered the synagogue and a man who was there with a withered hand and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. And what you see here is they're walking in the synagogue. There's a man there that has a withered hand. And culturally, what probably would have happened, and we know this from listening to what the disciples and others had to say, that there, was a, there was a man once who was blind And the disciples looked at him and said, hey, Jesus, can you settle a debate for us? He's blind, he has this physical issue. Was it him or his parents who sinned who gave him this issue? The the attitude towards this man was not have compassion, it's you messed up, you aren't right, you did it wrong, you go sit over there. Maybe you're here and you don't have a physical impairment. Maybe you have something in your past. Maybe you have something that's hiding beneath the surface that you think puts you in a second tier. And the Pharisees see him and they have no compassion on him. They have no hope for a future with him. They don't think anything for a hope for him, they look at him and they go, they fold their arms and they watch Jesus with him and they say, let's see how Jesus treats this man that has this issue. And Jesus says to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, it's not lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill. But they were silent. A faith in Christ is supposed to change our viewpoint of people. A faith in Christ is supposed to give us purpose for someone that maybe no one else sees purpose in. A faith in Christ sees how Christ can redeem someone that the world says there's no hope for. It gives value to someone that no one else would have value for. This man was defined by his hand. Every time he would have lifted his hands in prayer, it would have been a reminder of what they viewed as his sin issue. But they had no compassion on him. My first point is that our hearts drift toward a deal, our hearts drift toward a deal. We want a contract. Our, our hope in Jesus starts out as a relationship, but as time can go on, sometimes you can view it as like, okay, what do I have to do? There was a man in the Bible that, that was, he was referred to as the rich young ruler. And he came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, I'm, I'm good. Like, I'm, I don't know if you've heard about me, but I'm like really good. And I just want to know what do I have to do to get eternal life? What do I do? How does it depend on me? What do I do? Because what we believe that what we do defines us. And we're looking for a deal. God, God, just just tell me how much it costs. Tell me how much time. Tell me how much money it takes. Tell me what it takes to be right with you so I can move on and live life how I want to live. Our heart drifts towards this deal or if the, if the attitude of rule keeping is annoying to you, you have the opposite personality, maybe you look at it and go, how dare God say that we should obey him after he's forgiven us, how dare he say that there's, a, there's an obedience that's required for following you, that's not true, that's, I, I, don't, I choose not to believe it, I'm not going to obey me and Jesus are good, but the deal, the, the, the obedience that comes along with it, I'm not for. We'll trade the relationship for some relationship with rules, give me the rules, give me the checklist, tell me what I have to do to have eternal life and let me go and live how I want to live. But Jesus asks a question here that forces the Pharisees to admit where they stand. And forces them to self-decide, to look inward and say, okay, let's let's ask it. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? And he's getting at the core of the Sabbath. Is the core of the Sabbath, is the law meant for your good or for your death? And ultimately, they would have known probably the truth that it's meant for your good, but they saw how it came in conflict with the way that they lived. You can't do that. You can't help that man. That's not life-threatening injury. And they were silent. Jesus later in Matthew twenty-three explains to a group of people how they should look look at and view the Pharisees. In Matthew twenty-three one through nine, he says this: Jesus said to the, the crowd and to the disciples. The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do. You see the hypocrisy? You see where it starts to come out, the double standard? They might say some of the right thing to do, but they do not live it. Jesus would later call them whitewashed tombs. They look decent on the outside, but once you scratch past the surface and the the pretty external, they're dead inside. They have no life. And he's not talking about them as physical human beings. He's talking about their spiritual lives. For they preach, but they don't practice. And listen to what he says it does for the people that they are leading. It says that they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders. Do the law. Not just God's law, do the extra stuff. Because this is, in our determination, what it means to follow Jesus. If you really want to follow Jesus, if you really want to follow God, if you really want to be in right standing with him, you won't just do what the law says, you won't just do what what God's word says, you'll do what we say. And they start to have this holier-than-thou attitude, and he says that it's like putting weights on people's back, and then they don't do it themselves, they don't understand, and Jesus would later go on and change this whole game, Well, when Jesus was talking about all the rules and the laws and say, you say it's about adultery, I say it's about lust of the heart and the mind. You say it's about murder and external, I say it's about hate, and Jesus says that it's not just about doing the right things externally, it's about inwardly as well. And we wanna run to, give me, give me the external list. Tell me the deal that I need. So I can get by with this. In verse five, it says they do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make up their phylacteries, their their way of, they had these things that they would put on their bodies of a way of like memorizing and meditating on scripture. It says that they made them broad, big. Hey, look at me. Look at how holy and good that I am. And their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogue, and greetings in the marketplace, and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers, and call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who's in heaven. Jesus is teaching them not to put their trust and hope in the ability of people to be holy, but only in himself, in Christ, in God, for who can lead them towards holiness. But he's looking, I mean, to go back to Mark three, there's this man in the synagogue who they have this attitude of, man, go sit over there. You know one of the first things that starts to go when we start to have a self-righteous, a legalist, um, an attitude that says my sin's not as bad as yours, you know one of the first things to go is? Compassion. Because you look at somebody and you go, Ah, they had to have screwed up to get in that seat. He had to have really put himself in that boat. Man, can you imagine making that mistake? I'm glad I didn't. And you you don't see the person with compassion, you see them as, God, thank you for not letting me make that mistake. God, thank you for letting me be just a little better than them. And I think we can all have this attitude. Would you look at Jesus' response? And he looked around at them, verse five, he looked around at them with with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. God doesn't look at this this attitude, this hypocrisy, and go, You'll figure it out soon, it's gonna be okay. He, He looks at it, and it saddens him and it upsets him. Because these were people that knew God's word really, really well but they completely miss the heart of God. Here they were with Jesus standing in front of them, someone who was doing miracles, someone who was proclaiming, I'm forgiving you, I am God. And instead of standing back and going, who's this man? What, what is going on? How is he so good and so perfect and so holy? He understands the law. He's quicker than we are with understanding the law and getting to the, the heart of it. Instead of being awed and, and in wonder of it, they're threatened by it. Sometimes God's grace will do that to us. Unless we see ourselves as the recipient of that grace, we see it as God only has so much grace to go around, and how dare He give so much to you because I only got so much. No, God gave you more than enough. But you just trust that you didn't do that bad. God, I didn't do that bad. God, I'm not that awful. My favorite way to explain this is from the movie Hitch. You I mean, Will Smith, Kevin James fans in the room. Um, in the movie, Will Smith is teaching Kevin James how to go on a date, all these different things, and they get to the crescendo of how to, how to kiss a girl goodnight, and Will Smith says, I go 90, you go 10, and he leans in to show this is what it looks like to go 90, but Kevin James doesn't understand that he's supposed to only go 10, and he goes 90, and they, they meet in the middle, okay? And I think sometimes we have the attitude with God if we're like a church kid, we've grown up in church and we're like, God, I, you say that you forgive all of our sins, we all fall short of the glory of God. But like, me falling short was like, I only went down like 10%. So like, God, you, you gotta go 90, I get it. But I didn't do that bad. So like, your forgiveness is needed, I appreciate it. But it's not that much. I didn't do any of the like, the big sins of like, I don't know, the seven deadly sins or the things that God hate, like, they're just little stuff. And we have the attitude where we diminish our sin and we put other people's sin up on a pedestal. My second point is this, our hearts naturally point a finger. We rationalize our shortcomings and we demonize other people's sin. You know your attitude, you know your heart, you know, well, I just didn't really have another choice. Well, if you would have known my background, you would have understood. But then you see a mistake somebody else makes and we fold our arms just like the Pharisees do and we go, how dare they? How could they make that choice? What? Ha- mm, that's awful. But God's response to that attitude is harsh. He looked around at them with anger and grieved at their hardness of heart. They knew the things of God, but they didn't appreciate them for what they were. So this is what Jesus does. He says, man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. What's wild about this part of the story is that he has him reach out his hand, and for Jesus to break their law, he would have to reach out and heal. And Jesus healed in a lot of different ways. He put hands on things. He would would do all different kinds of stuff. This one lady just touched his garment and she was healed. And Jesus has him reach out his hand and he's healed. Jesus didn't have to move. Jesus didn't have to do anything. And he still, within their laws, didn't sin. And listen to this, it says in verse six, the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. What's crazy about this is that the Pharisees were the rule followers. The Pharisees were the people that said, this book is gonna be everything, so we're just gonna try to do everything that it says. But they understand, we understand now that they miss the heart of God, and they would have been on one side of the aisle. On the other end of the aisle would have been these people that we read about here that says the Herodians. The Herodians would have been the people that occupied Israel on behalf of the Greeks to help push the Greek culture to this territory. And they would have had this attitude of like, man, we read about in like Corinth and places like that where it says that any idea towards sex and love and culture and any of these things, like if it feels good, food, do it, take it. So they would have been people where if the, the Pharisees or the law people, they're like, man, don't give us any laws. And what's crazy about Jesus is he sits somewhere between them and they both get frustrated with him. They both hate him enough to kill him because Jesus isn't either or. Jesus isn't, hey, if you just do it all right, you'll, you'll, you'll have life. And Jesus isn't throw the rule book out guy because it's just me and a relationship and it doesn't take any obedience. But I wanna go back to Mark 2, verse 27 and 28. Because you start to see, this is, this is the linchpin. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not the man for Sabbath. Now he's not getting Dr. Seuss, he has a purpose for this. He's not saying that man was created for Sabbath. We were not created to just adhere to the law. The law was meant to show us our need for God. When we don't reach the standard, we go, God, I didn't fit it, I need you. But we weren't made to just, okay, it's getting ready for Friday night, I gotta honor God. No, he says that the Sabbath was made for us. We were made so that, the Sabbath was made so that it would serve us, so that we would rest, so that we would, we don't naturally wanna rest. We either wanna take it easy at work for seven days and not work very hard at all, or grind for seven days and go, Burn out. Naturally, we'll run on either end of the spectrum, but God says, no, 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 no. What, what is a God ethic around work is that you work hard for six days and you rest on the seventh. Because I'm God and I sit in heaven and I hold all things and you will be okay not working your field because I created that field. I created the plants that are in it. I created the animals that were in it. I created your job. I know what you do. I can make you more efficient in the six days than if you showed up on the seventh day to work. It was made to be a help to you. But in 28 is probably the phrase that that got him to the place where the Pharisees and the Herodians wanted to kill him. In verse 28, he says, so the son of man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. The son of man is the phrase that he used earlier in chapter two when he said, the son of man tells you to take up your mat and walk for you're forgiven of your sins. He's declaring himself Lord. He's declaring himself God this would have been blasphemy to them because they didn't understand who God was. They didn't understand the heart of God and how Jesus fulfilled that. They didn't understand the law and how Jesus fulfilled the law. In Luke, he says that the law is about me, all that points to me. And they missed it. He has other parts where he says, I've been sending you prophets and you didn't understand. He gives them hints along the way. Hey, this whole thing is me. And they missed it. So he says, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And here's what that means. The two times when they believe that they received the Sabbath in Exodus at the 10 commandments and at creation, Jesus says, I'm not just here to help you guys interpret it and make laws around it. He says, I'm the author. I was there when it was created. I helped write it for you. I'm the king of it. And I'm standing before you and you're missing me. The same story is in Matthew in, verse 12, in chapter 12. And he adds a phrase, Matthew does, that we don't see in Mark. But after he says what he says about the harvest, he says, or the, the, the story of David, he says, for I require mercy, not sacrifice. He doesn't say, hey, open your billfold. Let me tell you how much it takes to follow me. Sacrifice. Let me know how much time you can give. Let me know how much money you can give. Let me know how you can serve. That's not how he starts it. He says, I need you to understand what mercy means. I need you to understand that you deserve hell. You deserve to be forever distant from God. But because of Jesus, because of his good work on the cross, because of his perfection, he gives us a hope that we can have life eternal with him if we believe. Right before that in Matthew, Jesus says this. And there's a chance that, the Pharisees would have heard it, that it would have been close in time. Matthew 11, verse 28 and 29. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's saying the Sabbath gives you a physical rest. I will give you an eternal rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest, not for your bodies. The last word is you will find rest for your soul. He's saying this thing with the Sabbath, you're gonna do that until you die. Work six days, rest on the seventh. But eternally, we will rest at the feet of Jesus. We will be in need or in want of nothing because we're in the presence of our Savior, our creator who made us, who knows you deeper than anybody else. And he says, come to me and I will give your soul rest. So regardless of what end of the spectrum that you live on, he will give you rest. In John, you see, what, what's crazy to me is that Jesus didn't write these people off, these Pharisees. In John, what you see is a man named Nicodemus who comes to Jesus at night because he's afraid of what his friends will do if he shows up in the daylight. He comes to Jesus and he's like, Jesus, I don't understand. You're like saying these things and you're, you're doing these miracles and you're fulfilling it. I don't understand. And Jesus walks through how he is God and he loves him and he has a future and a hope for him. And the guy's like, I just, I don't get it. How can I do what it is that you say to do? And he says, believe. And you'll have rest. And then on the other end of the spectrum, a, a, a chapter later, you see a woman who he meets at the well. And what we know about the woman who he meets at the well is that she's had husbands, multiple The person she's living with now, not her husband. She's got a history. She was at the well at a time when no one else would have been at the well because of the heat of the day and the way that that worked in their culture. So she was ashamed. She had a history in a past that would have brought her so much shame, so much shame to her family. And he doesn't look at her rap sheet and go, okay, how many marriages was it? How many mistakes are we working with? Okay. How many months have you been living with this guy? Okay. Okay, let me look in the rubric and see what it takes to have forgiveness for you. It's mercy, not sacrifice. He says, I'm going to give you what you don't deserve if you believe. That we can have a future with God, regardless of what end of the spectrum that we live on. Whether we've been here and following the rules, but we've, we may have missed the heart of God. Or you're here and you'd say, the rule book seems silly to me. The hope for any of us is belief in God. And he offers it freely. Will you bow your head? Maybe you're here and you'd say, I, I don't know that I've ever accepted that hope. I don't know that I've ever accepted that rest. Maybe your life has felt like turmoil, difficulty, and you're tired. Well, Jesus says in Matthew, "Come to me, and I will give you rest for your soul." A peace and a joy that's surpassing of all circumstances, all understanding. And what does it take? to believe to look to him to do what Romans 10:10 10, 10 says that if we believe in our hearts that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and confess that he is Lord while it costs us everything it also costs nothing you can't work yourself into a favor with God you also can't work yourself into him forgiving you. It's a gift that he offers freely and we just have to take it.